<clears throat> sometimes correction is is uh, viewed as a negative thing, where it ought not to be viewed as as a negative thing. The Bible says that the discerning ear and the wise heart receives correction, but a, but a, a fool only is interested in venting his own opinions, inventing his own spirit. Right, David says in the Psalms, "Let a, a righteous man rebuke me, and I will count it as oil unto my head." So it's a it's a benefit. Now, wherever correction exists, and we are resistant to that correction, it's an indication of of pride. It's an indication of stubbornness. And as I've said before, is that will be to your own demise. That will be to your own downfall. For a hot before a fall comes a haughty spirit, and if we aren't open to being corrected, then it's it's an indication that pride is our portion. Pride is uh, the spirit by which and through which we operate. <clears throat> now, when you're in class and you're in college or your high school. Uh, people don't get upset when the teacher corrects a mistake of theirs, right? And in fact, people will go. People will spend tens of thousands of euros or dollars or whatever currency you have on universities or you know schools so that they can be subject to correction. And so, there's a problem, however, in in the church if we don't follow that same protocol. If we are resistant to that, right? So we have to have that heart that is open for correction, open reproof, and um, and rebuke. Now, correction and rebuke are not the same thing. Rebuke can be a sharp thing, and where you put someone in their place and say, because rebuke means to stop. When Jesus rebuked the demons, right? He forbade them to speak no longer. Right, so when we rebuke, but with the word, we're cutting at something and saying, "Stop!" By the authority of the word of God, cut that out. End of discussion. Right, whereas correction is more of a um, a teaching approach. Hey, you know the the word of God says this in this area, and it would necessitate you to you know maybe give attendance to this area, and this is. You know, this is how you would do this and so on and so forth. So they're slightly different, but the end goal is for us to be chiseled into conformity of Christ. And it's not an easy process. It says training in righteousness. And so training takes a lot of exertion. Training takes bodily subjection. And so when we come to the Word of God... It, it is the perfect law of liberty that is holding up a mirror to display our character, to display our motives, to display all that is who we are. And this is why we have to give regular attendance to two things. Not only prayer, but reading of the scriptures and receiving the scriptures preached to us. Okay? Because it's not enough for us to read the Bible for a number of reasons, but let me state a couple. Number one is we have the habit of selecting whatever books we want to read. 
and therefore hearing what we want to hear. Right? That's why certain people highlight ver- verses and not others. Why don't you begin highlighting the other verses you would not otherwise have highlighted? Because we are selective in what we want to hear. This is human nature. Even though it may be for our profit and for our upbuilding. We, we, we might want to select the verses that help to comfort us rather than to correct and rebuke us. <clears throat> but we need all to help entirely furnish us. Now, the reason why being preached to is profitable is number one is that those who are called to preach are ordained and are authorized by God himself to do that. And there is no authorization without anointing. So that if one is anointed, they are therefore authorized. And if they're authorized, they are anointed. And they are anointed for that position. Now, if they're anointed for that position, then the anointing flows from that position and flows from the teaching. This is why I, I'm, I almost guarantee you that everybody here has experienced someone at some time in some church go behind some pulpit and give some word and it done nothing. And we were probably looking around like, why are we wasting our time? Who let this person up there? Because the anointing doesn't flow from those who are not anointed to preach. That's why God will not back that person up with his presence. Because they're doing something they're not called to do. So, <clears throat> so with that said, when one who is anointed to proclaim the word, the anointing charges that very word to make it forceful to your ears and heart. Whereas someone in a university, at a seminary, can expound the word and and administer more light than myself because of all their knowledge of the Greek and the Hebrew and exposition and exegesis and all these fancy terms, but there is no presence that backs their words. Even while using the word of God, you don't hear the word of God. Ah, that's an interesting mystery. That the word of God can be proclaimed and not hear God's word. And this is the difference between rhema and logos. Two Greek words, rhema is the now word and logos is the written word. So you can have the written word without the spirit of the word. You can have the book without the author. And that's why it takes an anointed minister who carries the kingdom to, uh, uh, to expound that word with the force of the Holy Ghost himself. Now so... That's why it is imperative, it's necessary that we receive the word preached to us because you're going to hear things that you don't want to hear. And number two is that you will hear it with the force and the anointing that God himself backs, is administering through that that teaching vessel. Does that make sense? And so this will make for our profit. That's why, uh, this is why... um, People who have never subjected themselves, never submitted themselves to being discipled by a teaching priest. And the reason why I'm drawing that from is Jeremiah says the priests are to hold knowledge. Do you you know why this is why for, uh, is it of any wonder why throughout the course of all of the Old Testament, as well as early church history, it was only those who were ordained that had the scriptures. I don't know if you knew that. Because 
the the common man, and when I say common, I mean those who are not anointed for the ministry, were. I'll just put it this way, without going to a lengthy explanation. <coughs> One of the greatest tragedies to the church, while I I I do appreciate some of the things that Martin Luther did, but I would say this that largely what he did was also a detriment to the church because he put the Bible in everybody's hands. Now someone said, what, what's wrong with that? That's a good thing. Yes and no. The reason why it's bad is because now the common individual who has not been authorized, hasn't been ordained, hasn't been a cold, is now going on YouTube, going on Instagram, going on... And now there's so much chaffed that the wheat has to work through. There's so much noise that the truth has to work through because everybody is self-acclaimed, self-proclaimed, and 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 have have who aren't even called just spewing out doctrines of demons, traditions of men, and that's the problem I think it, that we see today in the church. <clears throat> um yeah everyone has their own Jesus um and this is why shortly after Martin Luther that's when you see all the emerging different denominations and it's only multiplying year after year and uh so um now now was there abuses in the Catholic Church of course undoubtedly but nonetheless, going back to the idea of what knowledge has been decentralized. I don't know if you've noticed that. Whereas the news before, remember, the news was centralized on a cert certain news stations. But now it's been decentralized. Now everybody can say whatever they want. And so now today it is more difficult to know what is what. And so... <coughs> Um, that's all to say this is that we need the word of God you know we need the word of God to we need to be taught it and we need to subject ourselves to it because, because it is that that will make for our profit it is that that will make for our prosperity it is that that would make for a life that is a, a glorious outcome now, verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, it says this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, uh, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. Let me let me point out two things here. And I'm this is what's called exposition. Uh, this is where, you know, I'm I'm teaching you some new terminology so that you're familiar. There's there's different types of preaching. There's topical preaching where someone says, I want to talk about this today. And and this is the theme of my message. And I'm going to take all these verses in support of this topical message. Whereas exposition is going verse by verse and allowing the verse to speak for itself. And asking the question, what does this text say? What, what does this text say? Now, topical preaching, the aim isn't... For you to help to understand the text. Um, I hope that's clear. So again, I can say, hey, I'm talking about marriage today. And then I'm going to take all these different 
uh, verses on marriage to help support that topic. And I'm going to think of the outcome of what I want you to know at the end of this message. Right? So its its main focus isn't necessarily the Bible. It's the topic. And I'm using the Bible to support the topic. Rather than looking at the Bible and asking these questions, what does it say? To whom was he writing? Who is the audience? What was the purpose of this message? That's what exposition is concerned about. And that's how you get a deeper understanding of what the scriptures are actually saying. And so Paul is writing to Timothy and he state this he's stating the audience he's saying this is my true son in the faith I'm writing to you so it's Paul writing who is an apostle he's doing apostolic work writing to Timothy why and we 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 come to know the why in verse 3 it says as I urged you when I went into Macedonia stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies such as such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work which is by faith and so Paul is telling Timothy this is the reason why I've left you at Ephesus and there's a number of things that can be said about this. One that comes to my mind is in Acts uh, chapter 21, if I'm not mistaken, Paul actually calls for the Ephesian elders. And he says, I know that after my departure, many wicked wolves will rise up among yourselves, not sparing the flock, drawing men after themselves. Now, <clears throat> let me say this parenthetically on a side note. One of the greatest indications of a wolf is when they begin to defy the pastor. Now you might say, you know, that sounds a bit dangerous. You know, are you just demonizing anybody that disagrees with you? Now hear what I'm saying. Paul's concern for the Ephesians elders is that there would arise among them people who won't spare the flock and will draw men after themselves. And guess what? You can use the Bible to do that. Because what's happening is people are power hungry and they see, they see it as a good opportunity to say, this guy got a large following. Uh, the Lord has uh, assigned many sheep to this individual. What I'm going to do is, you know what? I don't like how he's doing things. I'm going to start sowing discord in, in the group and then I'm going to start veering people away. You know what? The Bible refers to those people as warlocks. They're sorcerers. You might say, well, they're not practicing any magic spells. See, this is where our understanding of what a warlock is has to broaden. Because it's not just people who are doing magic spells. See, the most deceptive spell is a spell that is administered by words. And it charms the individual. The, the person goes and says, hey, look, you, 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 uh, you deserve to... Uh, Hey, you know, I know the pastor hasn't recognized you yet. And, you know, hey, but you deserve this, dude. Hey, uh, and they start charming them and buttering them with the words that is inconsistent with what God is doing in that context. And so that is witchcraft. Y'all understand? That's that's witchcraft. Witchcraft is any form Amen. of manipulation. To blind and veil the eyes of the individual to draw them for a purpose other than what God is doing in that context. 
And so whether it's through actual chants and love spells and, and, and voodoo, or it's through charm and de deceptive words, deception is a form of witchcraft. <coughs> so <coughs> Paul is concerned about these people here and says, look, you know, he, he, he speaks to the Ephesian elders and he says, I have not shunned to declare unto you through the space of three years, the whole counsel of God. And so let me say this on the side. Within three years, that should be adequate time for you to grow in your stature. Let me just throw this out there. Some of y'all have been with me for two years. You got another year. <laughs> you need to grow in your stature. <laughs> and and that, that means uh, applying and obeying the word and applying what's been taught but especially, and this is why I emphasize it so much, is your prayer life. That has to be there. And it's needless to say at this point. It's needless to say, you know, it's every Wednesday we're praying and, and there's a little primer on prayer. That's how you build stature. That's how you build that capacity. And so, <clears throat> but Tim, Paul is writing Timothy, and there, here's another note. In verse 3, he says, he says, I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. So a lot of people would be offended at that because Paul is giving Timothy orders. Right? He said, look, I, w I need you to do this. Not because Paul is some egomaniac or just likes to bark orders at people, but Paul has in mind the mandate of God. Paul has in mind as we learn here in verse 4, is God's work, advancing God's work. And so he's telling Timothy, he says, look, charge those who are teaching false doctrine to do so no longer. Why? He says, and what was the nature of the false doctrine that they were introduced with or um, exposed to? It says, uh, it says, command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or do, or... So there's is two faceted false doctrines, and secondly, devoting themselves to min, myths and endless genealogies. You might think today, well, I'm not devoting myself to myths or endless genealogies. Well, it had contextual relevance for that time. The, the you might say that doesn't apply to me. No, but the principle does, and the principle is this: it's no different. A lot of people are into conspiracy theories today. It promotes endless speculations. So it's not necessarily the content matter that Paul... And, and the content matter is false doctrine, right? That, that is what he's primarily concerned about, no matter what it is. That false doctrine is, is condemned. It's not welcomed here. But secondly, is myths and endless genealogies. And the endless genealogies might even be true. It might be historically accurate, but it ends nowhere. There isn't a point that you're arriving to. There is no uh, a conclusion to this that then leads us to practical living. So Paul primarily was not a theorist. He was a realist that uh, uh, desired for the application of, the, of God's revealed truth to humanity so that we can get on with this Christian thing and actually advance God's work. 
Exactly. Ever learning and never able to come to the acknowledgement of the truth. <coughs> so it may not be myths in our times. It may be uh, 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 conspiracy theories. It may be, um, you know, you, you fill in the blank. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure there are many different things out there that, that prevent us. It may even be theology. You know, there are certain ministries that are only devoted to studying the book of Revelation. And they have uh, uh, so many debates, you know, uh, or even, you know, philosophy. You know, they, they enter into apologetics and then they start studying philosophy. And philosophy is just an endless dialogue of debates. It's Acts 17, Mars Hill. It says that the Athenians uh, did nothing every day but save, uh, but, but except to hear something new. And so you see the end result of, of their reception of Paul's message was, hey, this is a strange thing. We would like to hear more about this. <laughs> and interestingly enough, of all places, that was the only place that I, I am at least mindful of at this moment, that Paul didn't perform miracles. And is it of any wonder that in 1 Corinthians, after having spoken to the Athenians, because Paul went to Corinth right after Athens, that he said to the Corinthian church, among you, I determined to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. Because the wisdom of this world, he says, he says the people of this world, they don't accept this message. It is foolishness to them. He says, I have come, I have, I have, I vowed to come to you with a demonstration of the spirit and power. No longer of this debate stuff. And that's why I, I don't really like seeing the street preachings because today because all it is is debate and that it's just it's not it's not about that <clears throat> but nonetheless uh, <clears throat> God is a uh, concerned about us being uh, applying what the Word of God says and it says here very clearly it says such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work so there is a lot of work that we have to do. You know, th this is why, um, you know, in my earlier years, I, I would get sucked in easily into debates on Facebook and stuff. And there's a rationale behind it. God's truth matters and these people are deceived and they need to know and all this stuff. And uh, it boils down to just casting your pros to swine. It really it boils down to casting your pearls to swine. That's why, even though I haven't become perfect at it, but I have um, determined that for the most part, I'm not going to tell anybody what I know unless they're asking me questions. Um, because <laughs> I, I don't have time for it anymore. It, it, it can get very stressful, and uh, you just throw up your hands and say it, how can I be any more clear? And, um, and uh, yeah, it just happens a lot on Instagram. I did it recently. Sadly, I keep uh, to a popular Christian and she blocked me because I told her that feet washing, like, why you guys want to dirty your hands and have that stinky smell? <laughs> so this is probably something that we need to learn. So feet washing was never commanded in the scriptures. You might say, oh, well, what happened? What did Jesus do with the disciples? Jesus was doing that to his apostles. 
And it's exactly what he was doing, what Moses was doing for the priests. He didn't wa just wash their stinky feet. He washed their hands and it was it, it washed their head. It was consecration. And this was right before the supper. And so where Jesus commands his apostles and says that, you know, he says in, in, in John, he says, if you don't allow me to do this, you have no part in me. In other words, that same word part in the Greek is the word used in the Greek Septuagint in the Old Testament that meant you have no portion of me. It was the Levites that had their portion in God. Are we clear about that? So he, he uh, uh, Moses said to the Levites, yeah, all these other tribes, they will have this blessing, they will have this blessing. But he said unto the Levites, I am your portion. And Jesus saying, your portion is in me, in Christ. Your part is in me, but you have to allow me to wash you and consecrate you. It's exactly what Moses did in Leviticus to the priest. He he put a you know a, a, he, he, just like Jesus. What was the uh, I don't know if it was the cloak, uh, but he put it around his waist. That's exactly what Moses did, and so you see Jesus is replicating what Moses did. Uh, in in Leviticus and elsewhere in the passages of the of the Torah, and um, and so he wasn't doing it to all the Christians. He was doing it for the apostles. And what he was doing is he was consecrating them for their priestly work, for their apostolic work. And then shortly after, he then has the supper, and he says, "Do this in remembrance of me." And interestingly enough, you know the Greek word there is the same word that is used for the for the word offering that the priest would do in offering sacrifices unto the Lord. So Jesus understood the work that the apostles would do as a priestly duty, as a as a ministerial duty. And this is why not everybody can distribute communion. He told this to his apostles to do for the church. Okay, so I think some of you guys are lost. <laughs> but that feet washing was a cultural feet washing that they did to show travelers hospitality. They would wash their feet and so that they can enter into the home. That wasn't the same feet, hand, and head washing Jesus offered to his apostles. Because it wasn't just the feet, it was more than the feet. And so some popular Christian was feet washing, had a feet washing service for all these females. And I said, this is biblically ignorant. I didn't say it in that way, but I just said, why are you guys washing each other's feet? Like, I, I ain't going to do that. <laughs> but but here's the thing, it's, it's, it's not about the, it's, then why don't we do that in some other fashion? Because it doesn't make any cultural sense for us to watch each, wash each other's feet. It it's what it's doing is espousing an ancient cultural expression of hospitality and saying, "You 21st century Western context here, do this what the ancients did," and I'm not going to do that. I refuse to do that because I'm my own culture, and the way that I, it doesn't make sense to the next man. If I if I try if a we all wear shoes today, right? My feet ain't being dirtied. I'm driving my car. So rather than wash your feet, your stinky feet, then I'm going to probably buy you some coffee. 
Hey, bro, hey, back up off on my feet. Just give me some coffee, bro. I'm cool with that. <laughs> Buy me something to eat. I don't know. Would you guys want me to wash your feet or you want me to buy you something to eat? Which one? Really? Come on. Let's just be real here. Give me something to eat. <laughs> bro, let, let's go get some steak. Uh, bro, let's get some hamburgers or something. Let's get some, you know, some Finnish food, some whatever, Croatian, Hungarian food. Let's go get that on me. Come on. Let's roll. <laughs> let's... <laughs> good I, I thought you were just trying to look like you're from brooklyn or something <laughs> um <clears throat> well you know what H hold your place there in first timothy please I, I want us to turn to leviticus 8 verse 6 turn to leviticus 8 verse 6 and the reason why look the reason why i'm belaboring this point is because biblical literacy is at an all-time low today. I think because there might be many cultural reasons for it. I think a large part is because we we have so much access to just listen to preachers today. It, we have we're inundated with so much information that uh, we don't really read the Bible uh, as we should. Um, now that's just a broad, generalized statement. I'm not saying this for everybody. But I think if I were to put my thumb on a reason why we might not be reading as we should, that would probably be the reason for it. In addition to a lack of appetite for the scriptures. And thirdly, is even if we're reading the scripture, a lot of times we don't know how to read it. You know, I have this book, How to Read a Book. <laughs> now, that might sound like a stupid book, but... A person is actually very ignorant if they're to say that uh, a book like this shouldn't be written. Um, this is actually a classic, very referenced often, very intelligent man, and he goes into the depths of how to adequately read a book. It is very important because we would think that a lot of people understand how to, but then why are there so many diverse opinions? And it's sometimes the issue of the will that doesn't want to learn doesn't want to submit to truth, and also because there are different understandings based off what they do or don't know. Um, but Leviticus chapter 8, verse 6, <clears throat> well, we'll begin at verse 5. Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward. Who's, who brought who forward? What did it say he brought forward? Aaron and his sons. Okay, thank you. So, who was the sons of Aaron? Do you know what tribe they were from? Anybody want to take a stab at that? I don't know. <clears throat> Levites? Yes, I'm the, guessing. Yes, they were Levites. Now, so this was what the writer of Hebrews calls the Aaronic priesthood. Are we following thus far? The Levites were from the priesthood of Aaron. Okay. Now let me ask you this question. Are we under their Aaronic priesthood today? <clears throat> no. Good good, good answer. Um, is there a priesthood today? Yes. Correct. Melchizedek. So here Moses is he says verse 6 then Moses brought Aaron on and his sons forward and washed them with water 
He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, just like Jesus is doing. And John tied the sash around him, called forth his new Melchizedek priests, and began to wash them. Now, it says, He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him. And the ephod was only meant for the priests. This is why David, I don't know if you guys know this, David was after the Melchizedek priesthood, which is why he was able to wear an ephod, even though he was a king. He was a type of Jesus Christ, a priest king. Otherwise, any other king like Saul, see, you know, that's why Saul, there's other reasons for why Saul was condemned by the Lord for administering a sacrifice, but one was because he wasn't a priest. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. David was from the tribe of Judah, from which the new Melchizedek priesthood would spring from. Y'all following? And so, um, this is why Peter requested to be washed entirely. Why, why look, if Jesus was only showing hospitality to washing their dirty feet, why would, Jesus, why would Peter be appalled and all, taken aback by Jesus' uh, 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 service to, to wash them? Was it, because, was it because his feet was dirty? No. It was more than that. He understood what Jesus was doing for them. He was installing them as his new Melchizedek priests. It was a significant thing that had taken place right before the supper, before Jesus had uh, gone and uh, was going to die. So he was, he was setting everything in order for him to then ascend to the right hand of the majesty and high so that they could serve as extensions of Jesus. Which is why in John 21, when Jesus did rise again from the dead, he says, just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So Jesus was making preparations uh, for for them to be adequately equipped and consecrated for their ministerial service unto the church. That's why he he washed them. So now, the the reason why I'm belaboring this point is so that I don't want us ign biblically ignorant. And I and someone might contest, and I've I see it all the time because it's what they learned, it was their traditions or what their previous church did. But it's not about what our previous church did. It's about what the Bible says. And you have to understand that they are Jews. We can't fuse our 21st century Western mindset into what the text is saying. We have to ask, how did a Jew understand this at this time? What would have been going through the mind of a Jew? So if let, let me just paint a scenario in your mind. If today, if in ancient times a Jew, and I'm disassociated from this context, I'm just talking about the regular feet washing it wasn't even an entire body washing head washing hand washing feet washing like jesus did for his uh, apostles but a pure foot washing in that time right if i tried to replicate that today do you think i would be well received as an ancient jew would have been well received do you think someone would respond entirely different today if i tried to Wash their feet 
versus before? Do you think there would be any difference in their response? I believe so. What do you all think? Yes. Why? Because that's not where our mindsets are at today. Totally different culture. So guess what? If 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 it wasn't cultural, then then when Paul talked about in First Timothy to serve as a qualification for him to determine who they were going to enlist as widows, it says they must have washed the, uh, the feet of the saints. So that means today, if we're going to enlist widows, we have to go one by one. Did you wash people's feet? Did you wash them? Did you wash them? If they all say no, so like, get out of here. Because the purpose is, were you hospitable? That was a cultural norm to demonstrate hospitality. Therefore, if you aren't doing that, you are not a hospitable person. Therefore, we're not going to be burdened with you and be hospitable to you if you are not hospitable unto the saints. Is that clear? There's two different feet washings. Just like the same... For the same reason, every time you see the word world in the scriptures, it doesn't mean the earthly world. But that, that's for another discussion. Any other definition that you see in the Bible, you can't assume that it means what it means. You have to look at the context because one word can have different meanings depending on the context that we're reading in. <clears throat> for example, Amen. when it says, you know, um, um, the God of this world. The word there for world is not the word cosmos, but the word aeon. And it's the word age. So just because you see the word world there doesn't mean that it actually means the earthly world. In that context, it meant the old age of the old covenant. And so we have to look at context. Just like the word fly in English. I can fly, or there can be an insect called a fly. Or you can have your fly down, which means your zipper. You know, so there's different flies. So we have to ask the question, what context was that used in? And what culture? Right? If I say that, I don't know if you guys use that in Finland or what your fly is down. If I say that over there, you guys, what are you, what are you talking about? Right? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. <coughs> but, so, again... Someone, you know, I, I, I hope that we don't suspect this to be straining out uh, gnats while swallowing camels. But all the word of God is here for our revelation. And so I don't care what other people are practicing. And it's good. I'm glad that they have wonderful hearts. Cool. Awesome. Amazing. But I am just not interested in doing something that is cultural if it's not biblical. We want to be biblicists. The Bible is the final authority, not what you think it says, what it does say. So, now, I, I, I want to hopefully get through this real quick. Amen, brother. <clears throat> and it says right here, uh, advancing God's work. So, you know, one of the things I... I I really don't appreciate is when people want to just stay theoretical and just theory and, and it might even be true about the Bible but have no intention on actually being uh, uh, actually applying it and so Paul's concern here is God's work that needs to advance and he says which is by faith and it says the goal of this command is love so there is a goal to the command that Paul is giving to Timothy 
So what is that goal? The goal is love. It says, it says the goal of this command is love. And the way that we obtain that love or walk in it is three ways. And he says, number one, a good conscience, it says, um, a good conscience, a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. A good conscience, a pure heart and a sincere faith. So there are some things that will disturb your conscience. And that can be for biblical reasons. The Holy Spirit convicts you on the strength of his word or because the Holy Spirit requests, it may not necessarily even be in the word, but the Holy Spirit requests you to do certain things for yourself specifically. If God says you need to pray two hours a day and you're not doing it, that's not what he's told the other saint. That's what he told you. And your conscience is, is messed with. You don't have a good conscience. Your conscience is disturbed because you know that the Spirit of God is asking you to do something that you aren't doing. Right? And it comes from a pure heart. What is a pure heart? Well, you know, like, uh, you know, back back in the world, if, if uh, cocaine, you know, wasn't pure, if the weed wasn't pure, it meant that it was mixed. It was a mixture. And guess what? A mixed bag never, it didn't, it didn't profit like a pure bag did. Right. And so with our hearts, it means, in other words, it cannot be mixed. Like Jeho like, you know, the the uh, old Jews, they mixed the worship Jehovah with the worship of Baal. It was a mixture. They mixed certain things. And so there is therefore a contamination. We have to avoid all manner of contamination, doctrinal contamination, more uh, immoral contamination, right? We have to avoid those contaminations to obtain a pure heart. And that's why Jesus in the Beatitudes says this. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you're not pure in heart, you won't be able to see what God is doing. And he wasn't talking about in heaven, Although that, that may certainly follow as well. But he was talking about in, in context, John chapter 3, uh, uh, Jesus was saying also to Nicodemus, he says, he says, um, uh, a blessed, he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Because Nicodemus came to him and says, we know that no one could perform these works unless you were sent from God. And so the way that you could see the kingdom is the kingdom was manifested among them through signs, miracles, and wonders. Jesus says, if I by the finger of God cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So that was the way that the kingdom was manifested. And that's why the Pharisees with an impure heart did not have a pure heart. When Jesus performed those signs, they attributed to the works of the devil. They couldn't see the kingdom. And they could not only not see it, they couldn't enter it. And uh, FYI, that's why also John the Baptist didn't even enter the kingdom. I bet you guys didn't know that. <laughs> the, the, uh, you talked about that before, right? Not to cut you off. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's, here's the reason why. Jesus says this. All those who were born of woman, there is no man born of woman. Remember, keep in mind John 3. Jesus says that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. And in that context, he's talking about being born again. Jesus says, born of woman was no man greater. 
He says, but those that are least in the kingdom, least is greater than John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist didn't enter the kingdom. If I say zero is the least, right? And if zero is greater than John the Baptist, that means John the Baptist is negative. He hasn't even reached a threshold. He hasn't entered in. Yeah, no, I think it's off because we have to also understand that. Remember when John was in prison and he sends his disciples to go to Jesus and says, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? And then Jesus says, he gives a description of John. And then at the end of it, he says, blessed are all those who are not offended of me. So John the Baptist was offended at Jesus. And that's the reason for his not entering the kingdom. This is also why he never performed a miracle sign or wonder. He wasn't in the kingdom. All he did was give a message. He never cast out a demon, never healed the sick, never gave a word of knowledge, never did any of these things. Because those were the byproducts of entering the kingdom. Jesus made it very clear. If I cast out demons, the kingdom has come among you. This is why even the apostles were doing this work. But he wasn't. Because he didn't transition to the new covenant because of his offense. Do you think it was because he couldn't believe that? If, if you are the least in the kingdom and you're greater than John the Baptist, are you in the kingdom? Yeah, no. Ah, okay. I always interpret it like it said that those are cleaner than until you are here on earth. But this makes sense. It's just weird that he was the Elijah who was, you know, who should have come. That just goes. That just goes to show that you know. Look at Samson. It was mighty called of God. Yeah. But look at what happened with yeah. Samson. <laughs> Samson fulfilled God's purposes, but not his own. See, Samson wasn't supposed to die that way. Samson messed up on his own purpose and didn't fulfill the well, purposes of God. See, because Samson wasn't supposed to die that way. It was because he was an arrogant man and a proud man that didn't keep his Nazarite vows. He went around dead carcasses. He cut his hair. He had partaken of things that he wasn't supposed to. So he had met, messed up his consecration and his devotion. And so that led him to a path of death. And because God will still use a broken clock and use a donkey... God still had his purposes fulfilled, but not Samson's. That wasn't Samson's purpose on earth, to die that way. <coughs> but anyways, I'll, I'll stop with messing with your brains. <laughs> but uh, it, it's not the purpose to mess with brains. The purpose is to grow so that we see the scriptures for what they actually teach. Because there's so much out there. They're saying, yeah, Samson was just, you know, he's so, yeah, this and this and that. You know, but uh, when you really dissect it and you examine it, things aren't what a lot of popular Christians are making it out to seem. Because we're not examining the word for what it really is saying. And is it a hard pill to swallow to think that of John the Baptist? Of course. He paved the way to Jesus. But that means that no one is exempt. Judas. <laughs> Anyways, 
I know there's different camps like Calvinists that say Judas was just supposed to die and go to hell from the point even before he was born, which is just nonsense. But Judas wasn't supposed to go out that way. Judas was not supposed to go out that way. That's why it says, let another take his office. And Peter said that quoting the Psalms. So he could have retained his office. He walked with Jesus, performed signs and wonders, but forfeited it. It's a sad tragedy. So that means, you know, we can begin well, but let us end well. How we end is so important. It's vital. And this is why, man, oh man, oh man, I, I am concerned about so many believers that take their walk with the Lord as a lax thing. They can just do whatever, whenever. And I'm not even talking about sin. I'm just taking, I'm just saying they just take their liberty for granted. And they, they will talk nonsense. Oh, you know, the devil, and I'm this and I'm that. And they just become so arrogant, like as if they can't have a great fall, man. Be sober-minded, be vigilant, be watchful. You know, have other people that are close to the Lord connected to you, you know, that's why, you know, it's, it's, look, man, throughout the scriptures, some great men of God deviated. Some great men of God made horrible mistakes, have committed grievous sins. Look at David. He wasn't able to build the temple like he desired. He just longed to dwell in the temple of the Lord. He wasn't able to build it. Moses wasn't able to go into the promised land. Why? Because he struck a rock out of anger. And so, understand this, that if, if you... No, I, I, no, he didn't. Because even Jesus says that uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob you know, dwell at feasts, you know, in the kingdom of heaven. And he talks about Moses who will be the judge over the Pharisees. He, he, someone in hell can't judge Pharisees. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So Moses obviously went to heaven, but he didn't get to enter the promised land. All the, the promised land? The land of Canaan, flowing with oh, milk okay. and Yeah. Although I believe, <laughs> I believe Solomon is in hell. For real? Yeah, he, he well... Just without getting into it, his, uh, he had foreign wives like God told him not to. He actually uh -huh. didn't build the temple like God required him to build. Uh -huh. That's another thing. Um, that's that's for another time. Um, and he was a wicked man. He was a very wicked king that had fallen into, uh, he had erected altars in high places unto foreign gods and all this other stuff. So he, he was an idolater. Uh, he didn't stay faithful to the Lord, and uh, and he didn't even build the temple like God wanted him to. And uh, so, at the end of his walk, when he said, "You know, <clears throat> obey the Lord and commandments," that wasn't repentance on his behalf at the end of his life. I don't think that's repentance. I think that he was in such misery that he knew with his head what was expected of him, but just couldn't live it out. Because even a backslider knows what the truth is. Yeah. And they'll tell you, like I've heard of people going back to meth and saying, you know, uh, you know, the people like, and you know, God is the way, Jesus is the truth, 
I know I ain't following him, but that's that's the goal of humanity. That's what you got to do. <laughs> I've heard it yeah. many of times, you know. <clears throat> yeah, he never tore down those altars. But um <clears throat> so that implied he continued to worship the stuff. Um so a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Right? Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they are what they so confidently affirm. Um it says we know that the law is good if it one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. Now, I wanted to say this and we'll come to a close. And uh, um, is they're giving themselves the meaningless talk. Wasn't profitable. Uh, and uh, they departed from this. They departed from a, a clear conscience, a sincere faith, and a pure heart. And, and therefore did not reach the goal, which is love. And um, Jesus says, if you love me, obey me and keep my commandments. If you love me, obey me and keep my commandments. He says, prove yourselves to be my disciples by uh, abiding in me and my word abiding in you. You, you want to know a good way to see if God's word really abides in you? What does your prayer life look like? What are you praying about? Are you, are you sincerely desiring and praying for the will of God to be done on earth and in your life? Because where your treasures are, there your heart will be also. So what are you treasuring? You, you state what your treasures are in prayer. You know, and I, I, I know that there's a, a great need for petitions. Personal needs. But unfortunately for some saints, that's all they get around to asking. They never intercede. They never say, oh Lord, bless that person. Oh Lord, save them. Oh Lord, bring that uh, uh, country into conformity to your ways. I'm not asking for personal needs, though that is a, a legitimate aspect of prayer. But oh, but where are the intercessors that, that stay unto the Lord that which he desires to take place on earth? So, um, in closing, um, I want to say this, that Paul, you know, commanded Timothy to do this stuff, to go to the church at Ephesus, to to eliminate any manner of false teachings and endless genealogies. And the reason for that is so that God's work may advance. And so, this was, this was Paul's concern for the church and for God's uh, gospel to continue to uh, uh, propagate throughout the earth, and people brought into the conformity of the uh, of Christ in His image, and and that He would have the full rewards of His sufferings. That's that's what this is all aiming at. This is what it's all about. This is why it's important. And so, my question to us is: In what manner are we, and and to what degree are we devoting to the purposes of God? Not only what are we devoting to, but to what degree? 
Because some people may be doing things for God, but doing it half-heartedly. Is your whole being, is your the totality of your heart in this? You know, because will you be condemned to hell? No. But will you suffer great loss? Yes. Paul says, look, a lot of people are building. Some people are building with wrong, wrong material. The foundation is Christ. But all their work is going to be burnt up. I don't want my work to be burnt up. I read a staggering quote by Apostle Rome last night. And he says that Jesus spent 90% of his life preparing for the rest of his life, which was only 10% of manifestation of the power of God. 90% of his life preparing for the other 10%. Preparation was aimed at a goal and it was advanced the purposes of God in this earth. 